and welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills Brexit podcast. My name is Christopher Hunt and I'm a partner in our Tokyo office. If you've heard our first few episodes, then thank you very much for listening so far. But if you're new to the series, then we're looking at Brexit from the perspective of Asian investors. What do they need to know? What do they need to think about? And what do they need to prepare for? Now, a lot of the companies we speak to want to know what the British government is doing out here in Asia to help foreign investors in the UK. So to find out, I'm joined today by Chris Heffer, Director for Trade and Investment at the British Embassy in Tokyo. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much indeed, and welcome to the British Embassy. Thank you very much. It's very good to be here. Um, so before we delve into Brexit, can you just briefly explain, sort of in general terms, what your department does here and then more broadly in Asia? Uh, certainly. So my department does the two things it says on the tin, trade and investment. On the trade side, we help British companies export uh, here in Japan. Uh, that can be larger companies working with government and some of the sensitive contracts. It can be smaller companies trying to get a foothold in the market for the first place. And on the other side, investors. So Japanese investors principally uh, coming inbound into the UK, help them set up their businesses uh, and grow afterwards. And we work closely with other economic colleagues, looking at trade policy and potential free trade agreements, closely with science innovation colleagues, looking at how do we drive research, um, and media, political and defence colleagues uh, across the embassy more widely. OK, so Brexit's kept you quite busy then? Uh, it's been quite a focus. I've been here three years, and for the last two years, that's been quite a large part of our work. <laughs> OK, all right. Well, um, we're recording this episode on... Friday the 19th of October, and I'm conscious there's a summit in Brussels right now. No breaking news from mm-hmm. Theresa May to report on, but we're not going to cover the politics of what's going on, not least of which because it's fast moving. But instead, um, we'll focus on the potential impact for business. And you mentioned uh, dealing with Japanese investors and what they're looking to do in the UK. How are you doing that um, with investors in Japan and how are your colleagues in Asia doing that with regards to Brexit? Sure, I guess the first thing is to say we have a a very large number of Japanese investors in the UK, uh, maybe around a thousand. Um, And across Asia, I sit as part of a wider Asia-Pacific region, uh, significant investors in Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, often more kind of wealth fund, Australia, New Zealand, often kind of capital investors as well. So uh, a wide range uh, of investors um, and many thanks to all those who over the years have invested and continue to invest um, in the UK. So a lot of people to engage with um, across the board. Um, we've, we've done a mixture of things here in Japan in particular, a lot of one-to-one meetings uh, with some senior investors, uh, with the ambassador, uh, with visiting ministers uh, as they come through. The foreign secretary was here recently, for example. Um, we've done uh, seminars to kind of get around the thousand-odd investors that we have in Japan. Uh, we send regular newsletters to all our investors um, and we've had quite a few roundtables with uh, investors from a range of different sectors, as we've had visiting officials, so people from Dexu, from the Foreign Office, uh, come through, can give us the latest state of play. So uh, a wide range of engagement over the last couple of years to make sure people feel they've got the information and the support they need from government uh, to take the decisions that they need to make. Right. And are you going out and approaching them, or are they coming to you saying, what's going on? Let's, let's talk about this. Uh, we've done a real mixture. So uh, ministers are always slightly like buses. They sort of come and then they come in in, in, in loads, as it were. Um, and we've practically engaged wherever they come. And we will do certain ministers cover certain sectors. So sure. we'll go and do a few. 
Uh, we had help for health secretary, so we had a few life science ones lined up. Um, he's delayed till after Christmas, so we will go and do those kind of individually. Okay. Um, so quite a pragmatic approach, as you might see. Right, right. So um, whether it's you or whether it's government ministers, you're coming over here, you're talking to investors, and you're doing the same in other Asian countries. What sort of messages are you getting from these investors when you're talking to them about Brexit? So um, it depends a bit on the sector, as you would suspect. Um, the Japanese have been loud and clear um, in what they would like, and quite early on the Kaidan Ren uh, published that letter to the British government. Um, as I say, it's a little bit sector by sector, so manufacturing sector tends to be more about movement of goods, whether that's tariffs, uh, frictionless trade. Um, the life science sector has some quite specific sets of things that the EMA, the European Medicine Agency, is asking it to put in place um, to continue trading across the EU. Uh, the financial services uh, was initially quite focused on passporting. It's now clear that isn't going to be part so, of any so deal. Passporting, so passporting, so you've got a license in one country and you can correct. So you can the operate EU. seamlessly from the UK. Um, that isn't on the table in mm -hmm. the offers that we've done. So businesses are doing what they need to do mm. to cope in a post-passporting uh, era. Um, and we've had issues around or questions around uh, our people and our talent um, and our future workforce um, in the UK. Uh, can we keep it? How do I get good labour coming in? Right. So those are the sorts of questions people have been asking uh, reasonably consistently um, over the last couple of years. Right, OK. okay. And so... Look, in, in having all of these conversations, I'm sure that you, you've got lots of different perspectives. You get very specific questions, but many sort of different perspectives. Are, are there sort of misconceptions that arise and you're sort of constantly having to address or correct? Uh, it's a very good question. There's two or three. I mean, I find generally Japanese audiences to be very well informed mm. um, and ask us some very good and some very detailed questions. Uh, we've had questions about the Scottish border, kind of quite a succession quite early on. Um, we get questions about the Good Friday Agreement and understanding that. So it's a chance for us to make sure we are aware of a wider set of politics and how that plays into it. Um, I guess the misconception, the biggest one in a way, is that this is Britain looking in on itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say in some ways it's very much the reverse. This is a chance for Britain to look beyond Europe um, and some of the arguments around actually not being part of an EU that some might see as a little bit over-regulating um, uh, and uh, kind of uh, binding, but a chance to actually to go to where the growth areas are around the world. Mm. Here in Asia-Pacific, we're seeing massive growth in the ASEAN countries in particular. We're seeing that in parts of Latin America. Um, and a chance for Britain to actually make sure it's doing what it needs to do in the 21st century in the world of digital rather than kind of physical um, borders um, to engage with some of the countries beyond Europe. So a chance just to reset what is the right relationship with our closest partners in Europe, but also connect with those countries beyond it. So that's been the, some of the biggest misconception. Um, I've had some quite interesting conversations about, I've never heard of this thing called the European Court of Justice, <laughs> which for a Japanese investor, you can be well forgiven for thinking, what on earth that got to do with this? But it's I quite think that's true of a lot of people in the UK don't know what I'm, it is. I'm sure. Uh, but it's quite a big part in the framing of the British-EU kind of conversation around jurisdiction and extra-jurisdiction um, and just saying why is that so important to British people. Um, and But the impact it has on investors is relatively small, so it's a largest part of, of the overall deal. Okay, and it is, I suppose, in the early days was a large part of the conversations. Why did it happen? Mm. And I think the, the phrase you'll hear from 
Britain, as you probably are, is around control. Mm. And as a sovereign nation, what do you control through your parliament and what do you not? Uh, and I guess the impression was having a court um, that could oversee rules that you didn't quite feel you had enough input to mm. was one of the drivers for this. Um, and that does have impact on the deal you can do, uh, but uh, I think limited practical impact on investors here. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So just picking up on something you said a moment ago, it was that people might be forgiven for thinking that the UK was looking inwardly mm. and just focusing on the EU, but actually it was looking up more broadly. And do, do you have a sort of a feeling that Japanese investors are also seeing, OK, this is actually a great opportunity in the same way that the UK is resetting itself and looking more broadly? Do you mm. think that that's reciprocal and that investors over in Asia are kind of looking the same way? It's the UK. Um, I guess it's a time of quite shifting global politics, particularly around free trade. Mm. Um, and uh, here in Japan, Prime Minister Abe has been quite a champion of free trade. Mm. Um, he's been promoting what was the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and now the CPTPP. I'm sure he'd love to engage America more closely in that, but again, that's not on the table at the moment, and that is near to ratification here uh, in Asia. We're in active consultation as the UK uh, uh, on whether we join the CPTPP. The consultation is currently going on. And if you're listening to this in the next three weeks from now, uh, please send in your responses if you're a British company uh, to what you see the opportunities on CPTPP are. And we're discussing with Japan, are there opportunities for the for UK-Japan bilateral uh, agreement as well, potentially going beyond the existing one with the EU and Japan? Right. So, so, so the EU-Japan so, one took I think, mm. something like seven years or something to negotiate. It was a, quite a long time. Yep. And that's going to be enforced next year. Yes. Right, OK. And um, in terms of um, what the future relationship for the UK might be, mm. you talked about CP, CPTPP um, and uh, the EU-Japan one. Do you th is that something which is on the mind of Japanese companies and sort of companies more broadly in Asia, what that future relationship might look like? So it's definitely an opportunity for uh, Japanese companies coming to the EU mm -hmm. um, and some of the biggest automotive companies uh, are the ones that are probably most, most interested in that. Uh, the auto tariff going to EU is one of the big things they've been wanting to reduce um, and that goes down over about 15 years so mm -hmm. the world doesn't change um, overnight. Um, I think you then go on to what are the particular UK-Japan uh, interests in doing something different or how do we uh, set standards for the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it did take a while to negotiate. There are 27 countries, or were 28 countries, yes. who had to negotiate, uh, and the Japan side as well. Um, I think we are hopeful and mindful that just country to country um, could take that a little bit further, perhaps without some of the defensive interests the EU has as a whole. Right, OK. OK, so... We talked a, a sort of fairly broad terms about um, what what a, what a future opportunities mm. could be um, and future trade relationship could be, but thinking about something more specific, we get a lot of Japanese companies saying, "Well, look, deadline is coming in March, yep. and um, the process has started in March 2017. We've got to this point." Things are still a little uncertain. Mm -hmm. What should we really be doing right now? What would your advice be with just over five months to go? 
Uh, very good question. Uh, coming from a lawyer, I'm sure you get uh, asked these questions as well, and I usually uh, refer them to a good good lawyer. It will be part of our answer. Um, we're quite clear. We're here to help businesses, not not tell them what to go and do. Uh, and businesses do need to think through um, what they might need to do and how they respond. Mm. Um, as I said, the global trade world is changing quite fast, so mm. industries are changing rapidly as well. Um, the automotive industry. Uh, is changing as to whether people are going to be buying cars in the future and whether they're going to be driving cars in the future, and they have to make some long-term decisions. So people are in quite fast-moving markets. Um, I guess often that means they need to think through what is the business that I need to be in, where do I need to be, and what assets do I put where. Mm. And some of those are much, much bigger questions um, than just what's my relationship between the EUK uh, uh, and the EU. So often it's given them a good chance to think, why am I doing what I am doing in the first mm. place? Who are the customers and clients I'm serving? What capabilities do I need where? And often a reminder of why they're in the UK in the first place mm. and what the strengths are of that, whether that's uh, the research and development base that you need to drive the technologies of the future, uh, whether that's the fabulous talent pool that sits there, uh, whether that's the top three or four of the universities in the world uh, on your doorstep, their access to financing, incentives around R&D. So it's a great reminder, and we've heard an awful lot of positive um, comments back from investors that says we are committed to the UK, we have been, we remain, we are working through what this means for our relationship, but the fundamentals have not changed. The British economy is still a great place to do business, um, and that continues, and there's lots that we share and want to do together. Um, that said, there are some differences that will potentially come uh, as we leave the EU in March. Um, you're right, it's a slightly uncertain moment, and it will be... Uh, hard to claim now isn't slightly more uncertain than we have been. Uh, it is the middle of March as we record this. Uh, October. Sorry, thank you. Middle of, <laughs> middle of October uh, uh, as we record this um, and the government is still confident of a deal. Uh, that is what it's working towards. Uh, there's a lot of goodwill on both sides to go and do, but there are some big issues to overcome to get, to get that done. Um, and so it's not surprising businesses are planning for what they might need to do um, as they do that. The government is hopeful of a deal mm. that gives us an implementation period that is designed to give companies the time they need to make the changes they need um, as we head towards a future economic relationship. So that is what the government is working towards. Okay, so um, you mentioned uh, an implementation period, so that's going to be the period from the end of um, March 2019 until the end of 2020. Mm. And you mentioned the word a couple of times, deal. Often people put a little word in front of the word deal, which would be no yep. deal. Um, not something, of course, which I think, uh, or it's not something that many people, uh, I think, would want. Mm. Um, this must come up in conversations you have with Japanese business and your colleagues are having elsewhere in Asia. Yeah. What's your message there? So our message is, I think, what the government's message is, which is that we are, uh, like many businesses... Mm -hmm. doing some responsible planning for what a no deal uh, could look like. Mm. Uh, we are doing that in the UK. The government has published, I think, nine on 100 technical notices um, covering different sectors of the economy, different uh, processes on what uh, people might need to do under a no deal. But it's been very clear that's what responsible governments do and it's not the intention by uh, publishing that that we are hoping for a, a no deal. We are indeed hoping for, to avoid that little word as you called it, <laughs> um, and to do a deal and it remains in our overwhelming interest um, to do so. And actually oddly sitting here in Japan, the type of deal the government wishes to do 
is the way it is because of the things the Japanese companies have said to us. Like what? They've said that they prioritise uh, frictionless trade, mm-hmm. um, that they wish to see uh, zero tariffs, um, and they wish to see a free flow of goods uh, across the border. Um, that is what the large manufacturing companies here have said. That is what the government set out to go and do. In a way, the fact that solves the Irish uh, border problem as well is a nice political uh, con- is a, um, uh, coincidence sitting here. But it also right. gives what the major investors he- uh, here in Japan what they've asked for from the British government. Okay, so but very much from a, a manufacturing perspective. Correct. Um, the flip side of that conversation, though, there are large Japanese financial service firms who've headquartered in London, trading houses you spoke about uh, a little bit before, um, who are having to make adjustments. Um, will not have access through the single passport to the markets and their customers and their clients in Europe in the same way. Again, they're doing what they need to do to make sure they've got those licenses uh, for business. Mm. Um, At the moment, that is moving or it's creating licenses and operations in a few other jurisdictions. It's tended to be in different markets around Europe, so we've seen no real competitor to London, for example, emerging uh, as companies uh, have done that. it probably has added cost. They've quite clearly said that to us. It's tend not to be shifting functions so far. There probably is, if I'm honest, a question about what happens in the future. But for the moment, they've done what they need to go and do, as prudent businesses do, uh, and as the British government is doing as well. As well, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned one of the things the government's done is put out all of these technical notices. Mm. Now, I, I'm sure that uh, you've read all of them, Chris, and uh, um, you would direct companies to these notices for further guidance. Um, uh, I'm sure as prudent lawyers you've, uh, you've had your people plan through those as well um, so they are there for people who, who need to kind of search through to those there are specific ones for example on customs yep. um, which has been quite a key concern uh, and there's some helpful pragmatic advice uh, uh, in there um, they are probably not it's fair to say the final word on these things mm-hmm. um, we are doing what we need to do now for a no deal uh, if you end up in a no deal scenario and we are not there yet to repeat then I think there is more that would need to come uh, there are a whole uh, series of uh, legislation that would need to go through Parliament in that mm-hmm. case, uh, and actually you need to engage the EU on a no-deal scenario uh, as well. There are massive implications both ways on that. Um, in a way, it's therefore good to say that is not happening on either side. Neither side at the moment is planning for a no-deal, nor does it look like it is. Um, it's putting in place the preparations now, but if it had to do it, it would. But, okay, but so, ju- so just acting like any company would do in the same circumstance, right? Okay. Well, one one of the things that um, companies say to us is, well, does Brexit and the UK leaving the EU, does this mean that we we can't have a European headquarters Mm. in the UK anymore? Mm. Is that something, is that a question that sometimes arises? And what's your message to anyone thinking that? Um, It's a a very good one. And we've had uh, lots of Japanese companies do have their European headquarters uh, in the UK. Again, for historic reasons, uh, for reasons of language, uh, for reasons of uh, Britain's a great place for the legal services and the professional services environment uh, I'd agree with that, that sits around it, uh, yes. as on behalf of your UK colleagues, I'm sure you would support. Absolutely. Um, there's often other angles to it that it allows, uh, often companies have their Middle East and African headquarters based in London as well, given the historic links we have to some of those market. Uh, and none of those things change. Um, as I said earlier, companies do need to think where's the bulk of our presence. Other companies, uh, sadly, don't have all their operations in the UK, manufacturing and R&D um, and headquarters. Uh, often some of them do have R&D in other places. 
and it can make sense for them to, to put some functions uh, side by side. Some of them might need access to European markets in a slightly different way than they did before. Mm. So um, I can see why companies are looking at where they put functions. Companies, to be honest, do that all the time, as you will know well. Yeah. Um, I can't see any particularly compelling reasons at the moment for, for shifting things, but some companies in some sectors do need to put more functions on the European side, as it were, um, to be sensible and prudent. Um, and companies minimise the cost and maximise the benefit as they do that. Um, so I think we've seen a few marginal decisions um, in a couple of places. Uh, equally, Britain's at full, un- full employment. Practically, it's creating two or 300,000 jobs every single quarter, mm. um, and the labour market's quite tight in a variety of places. So uh, we're quite a dynamic economy. Um, people move move around. That's not a terrible surprise at this Sure, and, and if it wasn't Brexit, it could be any other thing which Indeed. would influence a particular individual company to think, where am I going to put assets or people? Indeed. So I think the key thing is for each company to think through, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, mm. Don't just be a copycat because somebody else has done something. Think through what is in the best interest of your business, your customers, and your future success. Mm-hmm. And... In various points, you, you've talked about uh, taking a longer-term view mm. on the UK. Are there sort of particular industries that um, or people that you've been talking to where mm. they've thought, you know what, now is the right time to invest in the UK because we are taking a longer-term view on the UK economy? Um, it, it's a very good question. So we've seen uh, particularly continued investment in a few uh, sectors. So we've seen uh, technology continue to thrive. We've seen new data centres open. We've seen large investments in what you might call the R&D heavy um, sectors has continued. Uh, Investments in infrastructure and property. We now have, for example, uh, JR East being the first Japanese train manufacturer to operate uh, trains uh, in the UK. Hitachi manufacturing them uh, further north. Uh, Hitachi talking about nuclear power plants Mm. as well. Uh, We have uh, offshore wind investments from a range of Japanese trading companies who are now bringing some of their technology and skills back here to Japan and bringing British businesses as they do that. So across infrastructure, power, utilities, R&D, technology, you're seeing investments uh, continue. The British government last December set out its industrial strategy, something that sitting here in Japan is a very familiar kind of concept. Um, And I thought what I find most exciting about that uh, sitting here is the four grand challenges um, that Britain has set out for economic grand challenges uh, around healthy ageing, mm-hmm. uh, around clean growth, around future mo- mobility uh, and artificial intelligence. Mm. And the government's putting uh, funding behind those to help solve and rise to some of the opportunities uh, with businesses. But also sitting here in Japan, those are the same four challenges that Japan has. And, as, and, as a mature, other, and a number of other countries, countries in Asia. Yeah. So the possibilities, going back to your question about for partnership on some of those, for how do we solve those together? Um, Hollybur, a Japanese automotive company, has bought Myra, a British uh, engineering uh, test track and sort of development company a few years ago, moving into the engineering services space for both of them. A fabulous opportunity to say, how do we drive mobility in both markets in the future? Um, so some of those, uh, the big automotive companies are testing autonomous cars on the roads in Europe, in the UK, because the regulations are more permissive than they are in Europe or here in Japan. So a great chance to develop things together um, and pioneer solutions for for the future for the whole world. Absolutely. And we both drive on the same side of the road as well. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. all right. So, look, it's fairly clear that you've got a positive view of of the British economy um, and 
I would expect that, of course. But is there or are there any instances where this isn't going to be positive for Asian investors? And what can Asian investors do to sort of mitigate that, do you think? Um, so I guess we've talked about the financial services that have a clear... Financial services. Financial right. services, a clear... Uh, thing that they wanted quite early on. Yeah. Single passporting was a large uh, factor, something they wanted, something that is not going to be possible. Um, and over the last two years, you've seen uh, companies and countries and all of us go through the cycle of possibly surprise, mm-hmm. maybe even shock at the original kind of vote, um, getting your heads around what that might mean, and doing some analysis and some detail, uh, being clear what you wanted, and actually now perhaps coping and planning for you're not going to get that, but actually, how do I create a world beyond that? Um, so we're seeing those moves, um, and that's sensible and prudent, um, as you would expect. I guess we've seen a couple of other different sorts of uncertainties that affect businesses which will be common to them. So Britain has a separate currency from the euro. Yeah. Um, those currencies have a annoying habit of moving. <laughs> um, and actually, that does change where you put your money, where you make your profits. Uh, companies have natural ways that they often hedge those, so typically... Companies that export also bring in goods. As currencies change, that balance changes. That gives opportunities and challenges. Uh, we're seeing the America throw up a whole series of questions and challenges and potential tariffs, both between occupying here in Japan in quite a large way, opportunities for the UK, challenges for Europe, challenges on China. So global supply chains shift for a whole bunch of reasons. So I guess businesses face changing consumers and technology. They face a changing pattern. Um, we can be quite a small part of that sometimes. Um, so shifting supply chains across Europe is impacted by a whole bunch of factors. Um, the slightly lower pound has seen some manufacturers reshore, if that's the right phrase, um, supply chains back into the UK, um, and we're, where we can as government helping that happen. Okay. And so um, you, you mentioned the where you can help companies, mm. you will. Um, so if anyone's listening to this and they're they're investing in the UK and they're thinking about it, how can they interact with the British government and what kind of help can they get? Fabulous. So we, we do three things, uh, and please Google or uh, email your local uh, embassy or, or consulate, whichever country you're in. Um, so we try and help new investors into a market. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be quite practical things, uh, and we're delighted to work with lawyers as well, whether that's uh, setting up um, offices, setting up entities, uh, choosing a location, uh, we will often, often free of charge um, uh, cost comparisons between different sites in the UK. The UK isn't huge, but it has quite a variety of different um, sort of research, science pockets and different labour kind of costs um, as you move around the UK. So the practicalities of, of setting up in the UK, um, that can be R&D funding, that can be co-working with what's called the, the catapults to kind of kickstart an idea. So you can just invest in an idea or proof of concept. So helping people into the market is the mm-hmm. first thing we do. Um, we provide quality support to existing investors. When that's larger ones, you tend to want to have the ear of the British government. Mm-hmm. Um, in a properly appropriate sense, we will of facilitate <laughs> uh, big companies uh, making sure that their points of view are clearly heard by ministers uh, and taken seriously. We have a strategic relationship management programme with the largest investors. Uh, it's published on the government website. I think there's 80-odd uh, companies globally and nine of those are Japanese. Um, and we have a tiered programme from there. So a dedicated ministerial contact is quite a lead part of that. We can help with practical things, just visas and people transfer. Mm. We can't change the rules, but we can make sure you understand those and are going through the appropriate channels. 
and then we want your business to be successful in the UK um, by whatever means you've got there. Sometimes you end up buying a company mm-hmm. in Britain. We would love to help to see that grow. And that might mean growth in the UK. It might mean helping you expand into other markets. Uh, uh, SoftBank sitting here in Japan bought Arm, ARM, uh, in Cambridge a few years ago uh, and has promised to double the number of jobs uh, over five years. We're three years in and we're watching and helping them go and do that. So keeping your success going is also uh, should be a concern of your local embassy. Okay, all right. Well, I'm sure you'll um, be hearing from people and uh, as will your colleagues in other jurisdictions. Um, so through the, through the course of this conversation, you've sort of stressed long-term why you in the UK in the first place, and there are many, um, many things which uh, businesses have to consider, the way the trade winds are blowing, mm. as well as their normal business cycle. But this is a Brexit podcast, so yep. I guess it's sort of a final uh, couple of Brexit uh, questions. What's, in, in big picture terms, what's a successful Brexit going to look like for the British government? So I think this is trying to do the two things government set out in the first place, which is just to, sh- to recognise we need a partnership with our closest neighbours in Europe, but not the EU, mm-hmm. that works across security, defence and trade, and then a chance to reach beyond Europe to the fast-growing markets that sit here in the Asia-Pacific and, and across the world. So getting that right for global Britain in the 21st century would seem to me a successful Brexit. I think at the moment we could all do with a bit more certainty, if I'm honest. Okay. <laughs> no, I think so. Um, okay, so you're part of that mission, as you said, to sort of reach out. And so in the spirit of that, what mm. sort of key message would you reiterate just to wrap things up? So I think I would say you've done the planning, you've thought about what your business is, you've thought about the role of uh, Europe in that. Uh, actually, you often think globally as well. And, and sitting here in Japan, people often look to the US and part of my job is to say, um, look to Europe. Um, at the moment, it feels quite uncertain, I think, if we're fairly honest about that. Um, I think I would say don't make hasty decisions. Um, Japanese investors are quite long-term investors and mm-hmm. they're not making hasty decisions. Um, some have seen opportunities quite quickly in that. Uh, take your time. Um, I'm hopeful we'll get some clarity uh, pretty soon, and that seems a better point to engage. The government is working on getting a deal and a transition period, um, and we will be communicating with investors in particular on what that looks like and what changes you might need to make um, over those time frames. Um, so uh, listen to your next podcast, hopefully, is the right answer. Okay, that's always the right answer. Okay, that's a very positive note on which to wrap things up. Thanks very much indeed, Chris, Thank for joining you. us. Uh, and thank you all for listening to this Herbert Smith Freehills Brexit podcast. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.